Coming up on this edition of the Golf Digest podcast, we discuss the content kings of the PGA Tour and have a chat with Steve Stricker. My God, my swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. Why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! What is this, costume? Mine's off the rack. I wish Tiger Woods was here to help me with this. We'll do it live! Welcome back to the Golf Digest Podcast. I'm Alex Myers. Today I'm joined by Sam Wyman, Keely Levins in studio. Guys, we had a crazy weekend of just these amazing stories, obviously. We'll start with, uh, we're going to talk to Steve Stricker. His his story is a little more known, and, and obviously he had a, a dominant week at the U.S. Senior Open. But uh, Nate Lashley on the PGA Tour, um, a guy who unfortunately is most known for being involved, well, not being involved, but having connection to a tragedy when he was in college. Um, his parents and girlfriend died in a plane crash, uh, a f- plane flown by his, his dad after vi- after seeing him in a tournament while he was at the University of Arizona. Um, that was, what, 16 years ago? Mm-hmm. And now he wins on the PGA Tour, and, and it took him a long time to even get to the Tour. So obviously this is going to be an amazing story no matter what, Sam, but um, – you know, for him to, to put it all together and to win by six shots just seemed an incredible f- performance. And it's amazing. And we talked to Steve Stricker later about the challenges of having a big lead going into Sunday because he had a, a similar dynamic. And I can't help but think during that period when he was leading that uh, you're like, God, you know, this guy needs to hold on yes. and win this because um, no one deserves to win more, period. Right. And to have a, a lead like that is such a such a daunting experience. So I was really happy to see that he basically cruised on Sunday. Yeah, only his thirty third PGA Tour start, and he's thirty six years old. Uh, he he was selling real estate for a while, then he came back to golf. He was on the PGA Tour Latino America. Um, you know, I guess Keely, it, it kind of shows also just how many of these great players there are out there who I mean just takes one week to Mm kind of get them going yeah and I think that sometimes we forget that players can be great when they're older than 25 it feels like the trend lately has been that there are just so many strong players in their mid to late 20s and there really is no reason for someone in their early to mid 30s to have their breakout moment. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of it. Yeah, and it's funny when we, we we're talking to Steve Stricker. He's a guy who obviously had some success early on, but then had a really long down period. And then he's played his best golf in his 40s, and now mm-hmm. I mean, you can make a case in his 50s playing some of his best golf. Francesco uh, Molinari. Francesco Molinari flicked it on last year, of course. Um, you know the the Nate Lashley story though is is obviously uh, pretty amazing. I will say though it was interesting, not interesting. His girlfriend's name is Ashley, Ashley Lashley. That, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that has potential to not be. Uh, that's tongue twister. Uh, all right, let's talk about Steve Stricker. Obviously, a dominant performance from him at the Warren Golf Course, which is uh, at the University of Notre Dame. So the guys getting there early, they got their their Notre Dame jerseys, they wore the helmets, did all this stuff. 
But Steve Stricker came out there and he played like a Champions Tour player today, dominated oh. them. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> just kicked their butts. Uh, now he said afterwards he came in with a chip on his shoulder. He he hadn't won the week before he lost in a playoff to Jerry Kelly, who he was paired with in the final round. Um, in Wisconsin, his hometown event, which he's kind of the host of. And uh, he said that he came in ornery. He used the word ornery. And we, you know, we always think of him as the nicest guy. In fact, he was the nicest guy when we did our first nice guy survey a few years ago, Golf Digest. So, Sam, I mean, could he have benefited? And we talked to him about this. Could he have benefited? And we talk about this with certain athletes from being a little nastier out there or yeah. Are you able to separate the two things? I mean, I, I I think he answers the question saying that he mostly does, but right. even subconsciously, I'm always curious if a guy like that, um, if you have any sort of empathy or you yes. care about your surroundings, it's difficult to have complete tunnel vision and just you know destroy your competition. We've talked you know for years about Tiger at the height of his powers. He had this amazing ability to just put all his focus inward, not care about anyone around him. And he was, you know, it worked not only for him, it also worked in the sense that he was intimidating others just by having this amazing sort of singular focus. So by contrast, you think, okay, if a guy's a nice guy and he cares about connecting with fans and his playing partners and caddies and volunteers, you know, is he sacrificing some type of competitive edge? Mm -hmm. Or using more energy. I mean, the amount of emotional energy that it goes into being an empathetic person yeah. and that's not something that you can really like flip a switch on like oh i'm in a tournament i'm going to flip the switch now it's like if you're an empathetic human being i feel like you're always an empathetic human being well mm-hmm. alex would know cuz he's not an empathetic yeah, true. human being so. <laughs> but but uh, yeah i mean it, this is a whole you know sort of philosophical discussion but 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 no seriously there is you know there's there's my wife's done a whole bunch of studying about this about the difference between introverts and extroverts mm-hmm. and the introverts are people who you know who uh, extract energy from looking inward and extroverts like need connection and other people around them to get energy. So whereas again, uh, sort of a misanthrope like Alex who doesn't like people (laughs) um, loses energy by connecting with people and being around people. other people, that's where they get their energy. Yeah. So, I mean, Phil Mickelson is the classic example mm-hmm. of a guy who draws energy from people. It doesn't feel like he's giving anything away in the process. So, you know, I wouldn't put Steve Stricker in the same category. He's not, I don't know if he's like an, you know, a gregarious guy, right. but he's certainly a guy who has a great ability to connect with people and, and cares about his surroundings. And, and you know, the, the original question was, does that at all hurt his performance on the golf course? And I think that was a long-winded way of saying not really. Yeah, I mean, certainly didn't hurt uh, this week, 19 under par uh in a by the way people don't go crazy when uh you know the senior open produces these scores 19 under par yeah Where, well, i mean i guess people i don't there's know not as much interest or, or what unfortunately but you know i mean people are complaining oh it's too op- too easy for a u.s open why is the usga setting it up too easy i mean steve stricker shot 62 the first day blitz this course right um well, it's a fine line because obviously, you know, as much as we say we like to see the best players in the world struggle on a, it doesn't seem as nearly as inviting or interesting yeah. to see, you know, fifty-five-year-old Bob Tway or whomever struggle while playing. A right. It just doesn't seem like it's the same. It's apples to oranges in a way. Or or Stricker is just that good. Well, he. Is, I know? mean, he was, <laughs> and I was actually going to say he actually on um, on Sunday. Missed a ton of greens, but his short mm-hmm. game was amazing, including a chip in for birdie on 12 when the lead had been, quote, cut to five. Um, <laughs> a, a, some other really great, you know, tap in pars after after missing greens. You know, yeah. I was going to say, and I, maybe this has already been done before, but, you know, you always talk about guys in their mid to late 40s and you say, oh, that guy's going to clean up 
on the, yes, on the yes, PGA yes. Tour Championship. It would be great if they actually did a statistical analysis of like literally what skills on the PGA Tour translate best to success on the on the senior circuit. Yeah. Meaning like so like is it length? Is it you know uh, greens and regulation? Is it your shipping and putting? Like whatever those data points are that you could say yeah. you know actually that type of player has a better chance to succeed at the next. Like the next stage. That would be interesting. Obviously, Stricker, always known for his putting. We're going to talk mm-hmm. a little more about putting. But he, he also was one of the great iron players, and he was saying these shorter courses give him maybe more of an opportunity to, to be aggressive with those second shots. But that's a good point because, you know, just think about a couple years ago, well, maybe it's been five years, Vijay Singh, mm-hmm. we thought he would dominate. dominate. I mean, he's done okay, uh, but not – I mean, Stricker now has already won two majors uh, this year. You know, but we've seen other guys like Jerry Kelly and, mm-hmm. you know, and, right. and Stricker was never long, but he was blasting it by. He, he looks like Tiger in his prime <laughs> compared to some of these guys. I mean, he's just nuking it past them. So I, I don't know. That's an interesting. It's like, it's also, who is the best, if you could, I don't even know, the best tough course player on the PGA Tour? Mm-hmm. I mean, whoever that person is, like Jordan Spieth, known as kind of a guy yeah. who plays tough courses sure. really well. In theory, like his skills don't translate as well as a guy who just has the ability to really go low, go low. week on week out. I mean, he can go low too, but right. you know what I mean. But but what's interesting about Stricker is, and we talked to him. You know, he he never won a major, obviously, but he always he always made the cut. It seemed he always had this great streak of making cuts, and then he won events like the John Deere Classic where you did have to go yeah, crazy so. low, mm-hmm. and, just, and he was not. And you think of the bombers as the guys who go crazy low, but it really, you know, I was looking at his stats. I mean, we talk about how great of a putter he was. In 2009, when he had his best season, he was 42. He was second in strokes gained approach. So that's, I was just going to say, that's like, where the great putting... He was right behind putting, Tiger. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... So he's a great iron. That's player. where great putting comes from. Yeah, yeah, it's from great second shots. Yeah, I mean, he right. He gave himself a ton of chances. And he made a lot of putts. He, he actually never led in strokes gained putting. I mean, he had some really good years, mm-hmm. top fives, mm-hmm. but... Um, he, he was a great iron player as well, and now and and now, yeah, it's obviously translating. I think a lot of it's also driving accuracy mm-hmm. because you're not getting that close to the pin if you're hitting from the rough. So I think I think that's your stat, Sam. There I think that's what there you're driving looking accuracy. for. Driving, driving accuracy. Fred Funk's had a good tour. Career. Yeah, Fred, I mean, David yeah. Toms, you know, the guys who've Jerry had good, Kelly. Yeah, Jerry Kelly. Said, there you're you go. welcome. Longer, Problem solved. Pretty longer. Pretty All right, we got. We figured yeah. it out. <laughs> there's your, there's your formula. Um, Sam, you have another theory that we want to talk about. That's a lot of theories. Many theories. What is your newest theory on golf? (laughs) Because I love that anyone who's played golf with me saying that I should be espousing about theories on putting. But you do come every so often, every few weeks, you come in with this revelation. I like this one, actually. This one I just have a bunch of question marks next to on my notes. It just says Sam's putting theory. I've been on the road. I missed all of this. So my, my theory is that great putters, you have to enjoy putting. Meaning you have to actually enjoy the process because most people, when they struggle putting, what do you see with them? They, they, and I'm, I'm definitely one of one of those people often, which is like I just want to get it over with. Like I don't want to, I don't want to do any severe damage. So I'm staying over a 15 footer. And I'm not thinking about it as an opportunity. I'm thinking about it as don't three putt. Mm-hmm. And so huh. I think people who actually enjoy putting, who think about it as something that, that can yield a great opportunity. Again, it's like I asked Stricker, is it more about attitude or is it more about mechanics? It's really about attitude. Like if you have kind of a positive attitude about putting and you mm-hmm. see it as something that, um, again, can yield something positive for you, ultimately you're going to you're going to putt better. And really mechanically what I'm talking also about, because the, the biggest thing I struggle with and a lot of people struggle with, uh, like I see with my son, is they you know, they pick their head up, they pick their shoulders up, they come out of the stroke too early. And mm-hmm. that's a that's a testament to them kind of wanting to get it over with quickly. apprehension, yes. like what's as happening. As opposed to yeah. I want to stay in this moment and really stroke the putt and, and see what it yells. Come on, you're shaking your head, you think it's a I, good idea. Well 
I guess that also makes sense in that, like, if you do actually enjoy putting, you're probably more likely to practice it as well. 100%. Totally. Um, and I've heard, like, Lydia Ko was saying at the KPMG Women's PGA that, like, a big change that she's made with her putting is every time that she sets up to a putt, she just says to herself, I'm the best putter in the world. Yeah. And she's like, whether or not that uh, that's actually true is, you know, doesn't Do it, doesn't yeah. really matter. It just, like, gives her a very positive vibe before she hits the putt. So that, I think, kind of but plays that, into what you're saying. That's the only part that I kind of don't agree with or it doesn't work for me, I should say. Well, yeah, I mean, she actually could be the best player yeah, in course. the world. Like, <laughs> But my point is is that um, enjoying it and saying you're great, in my mind, are two different things because uh, there are times when I feel super uh, confident and I'm going to you know, I'm gonna make this putt, I'm a great putter, and then I just jam it six feet past, ten feet past. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, so, you know, there's like a there's, – there's a, there's a level of degree there, mm-hmm. which is – it's not so much about uber confidence and Process not being – Process-oriented versus – outcome oriented I, I think there's definitely something there i said to you before when when i'm playing well you don't think about these things but you get to the t and and i i the driver is always where i'm most worried about making a you know a big mistake or whatever i say i get the yips under pressure unless you're playing with my driver right oh, you're man, on I it can't, that day can't miss with that thing but no i mean you get to the t and you're excited to hit the t shot you're excited to mm-hmm crank a drive or you know for me 250 maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're but you you get this like oh man now it's time to hit another good drive and you get in this groove so you know i think part obviously part of that's confidence but but part of that is enjoying it if you if you're dreading it you're really not gonna have much of a chance so mm-hmm. i don't know how much of that is tricking yourself into it or mm-hmm. or not um now now I, I'm a pretty good putter, but I never think of myself as enjoying it. But maybe I should think of that. I bet more. you do, though. I bet yeah, you enjoy. Maybe it. Like, I, but again, like you're, you, you get when you get, and I've played a lot of golf against you. Is you get to the green and you're not thinking like, oh, I hope I don't screw this up. Like you actually have, yeah, a, a, like a, a an aura of this is uh, this is not an opportunity for me to win this opportunity. hole. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I think you do have to look at it like that. Um, all right, good, good theory. Thank you. All right, Come, this one, yeah. this one's this okay. One, Keely approved. This one works. Yeah, I'll allow it. This okay. one works. Um, all right, Keely, I want to mention just quickly, obviously, because we talked about her last week a lot, Michelle Wee, um, you know, she had a rough performance at the KPMG uh, Women's PGA, uh, the 84-82, you know, we got emotional, uh, mentioned she didn't know how much she was going to have left. Now she comes out and says she's going to skip the remainder of the year. So I take it not too big of a surprise, but what was your reaction? Um, I'm I'm really happy that she's doing this because it feels like so far this season she's been kind of in between playing and in between resting. Um, and she's just I think that her body is trying to tell her that she needs to take a lot of, you know, very focused rest and rehabilitation. And the more that she tries to come back, it seems like the more she's aggravating it. So I think that this is the only way to really give her body a fair chance um, of being able to play again. So I, I'm, I'm really happy for her. I think she would admit, too, that she came back too early. I think, you know, she's been saying at the beginning of the week at the KPMG that she'd even considered taking the entire year off before that tournament. And she'd talked to the tour about taking a medical leave. So clearly this conversation has been had with her doctors and with the tour beforehand. And the KPMG was just the final kind Mm -hmm. of straw that like, okay, we really need to take a break and evaluate what's going on here. Yeah. So we talked about it last week. I mean, she's only 29, but 
old, her body's not 29, 29 yeah, in right, golf years right yeah and she's been i mean she's been in the spotlight for so long that's got to kind of way way on you anyway it's sort of i was yeah. going to say the only thing mm-hmm. i was going to say is like well two people i thought of one was tiger woods mm-hmm. obviously because mm-hmm. he had this debilitating injury on the time away um he you know first of all allowed him to heal but also allowed him to contemplate a life without golf and that's yes. and we talked to Henny Zuel. That's the other person last week, and she had the same thing where she had a debilitating back injury, and she took time away. And during that period is when she had to come to terms with the fact that this was a finite period of time, and it was probably going to mm-hmm. end. And what was she going to do next? And again, it's 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 terrible because obviously um, you want to see Michelle we play golf for a lot longer, but. If nothing else, um, it's a time to kind of wrap her head around what could be the next step. Step. And you want to see Michelle Wee play golf for as long as Michelle Michelle Wee wants to play golf. You know, it's it's so hard to watch a young person clearly want to be able to do something and have it be their body that's holding them back. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's, it's pretty rare in golf. Like it happens all the yeah. time in other sports where their bodies kind of dictate. Okay, that's the end of the line for me. But Skiers and yeah, yeah. But it's you know golf. The number of people who have you know high profile top of their sport people who've had to step away and never really play again who else would be in that category i'm putting you on the spot mm-hmm. i mean i mean step- duval had a ton of injuries obviously yeah but, but i'm he, talking about he, like he, he didn't totally step away but right. yeah there's like the, um, so there's plenty of guys who like you know the injuries added up and affected their play and they kind of had this downward spiral where i'm really talking about someone like literally physically could not yeah, play competitive golf anymore and they had to stop kind of cold right right know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure we're blanking yeah. on someone obvious well Anyway, we, we hope she uh, takes the time off. Uh, I don't know if she might be getting married in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Maybe she'll come back and, and be refreshed. Um, one guy who has had great injury you know, history, luckily for him, and that's why he's playing so well at age 52, is obviously Steve Stricker. Uh, and Steve was kind enough to join us fresh off an all-night bender of a party <laughs> uh, celebration. No, he, he was driving home. Say, yeah, he got yeah, in the, yeah. he <laughs> he got in the, the family uh, truckster with uh, his wife and his two daughters, and they drove home the four-hour drive, he said. So anyway, Steve Stricker uh, joined us. Please have a listen to our chat with the newest U.S. Senior Open champ. Let me talk for a second about Golf Digest Schools. Golf Digest Schools is our new cutting-edge video instruction platform offering more than 250 classes on every part of the game and featuring the leading teachers in golf from Butch Harmon to David Ledbetter to Michael Breed. Unlike the quick tips you can find across the Internet, these are full game improvement programs meant to be followed step-by-step as if you were working with a pro. It's like Masterclass meets Netflix, but even better because there's the added promise of feedback. To sign up for Golf Digest Schools, go to golfdigest.com backslash access and use promo code SCHOOLS to get 30% off an annual subscription. Again, golfdigest.com backslash access and use promo code SCHOOLS. Okay, we're excited to welcome to the Golf Digest podcast, fresh off his victory at the U.S. Senior Open, Steve Stricker. Steve, uh, congratulations. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so first off, i got to ask, how how's, how do the after party victory celebrations compare on the Champions Tour versus the PGA Tour? Did you guys get uh, pretty crazy last night or, or no? No, we didn't. <laughs> we ended up uh, we drove home from uh, oh. South Bend, so it took us four hours to get home. We didn't get home <laughs> to Madison until about one in the morning, and 
so there was really no victory celebration whatsoever except right there at the golf course. Um, and then uh, we hopped in the car and, and drove on home, which is nice to be home. Sure. Steve, when you when you uh, you know make the move, I, I realize you're still kind of straddling the two tours, but when you start playing senior events, um, where does uh, a U.S. Senior Open rank among goals for you um, in terms of you know trying to trying to make a mark on that tour? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I don't even know if I know that answer yet. Um, that's been the constant struggle, you know, uh, for me trying to make a decision on which way to go and. Um, you know, I enjoy both tours. I still enjoy being out on the regular tour, uh, seeing, <clears throat> you know, the guys and, uh, playing, <clears throat> excuse me, playing with some of the younger players that uh, potentially could be on the Ryder cup team next year, uh, that I'm a part of. And I think that's important being out there. Um, and then I, you know, enjoy getting out on that champions tour and, and competing out there and trying to win golf tournaments again. And, and that's, that's fun. It's always fun winning and trying to win and getting in contention. And, um, so it's, uh, it's been a constant, uh, struggle decision-making process for me, uh, on, on which way I need to go, but, uh, all good problems to have, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's not a bad thing and it's just something that, um, uh, I, don't know where to go. <laughs> if you have any uh, insights, let me know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it sounded like when you won the uh, the Regents tradition, your first major on the Champions Tour, uh, you sounded like you might kind of change your strategy, maybe focus on those bigger events more. Were you surprised by how much winning that major meant to you, even though it was on the on the Champions Tour? Um, yeah. <clears throat> it. it um, I guess I wasn't surprised. You know, I mean... Um, you know, I was never able to win a major out on the regular tour, got close a few times, but never was able to pull one off. And, um, so, you know, my next goal obviously is to win, win one out there on the champions tour. And, uh, doing that at regions was, uh, a huge, huge boost and huge thrill having my brother-in-law Mario on the bag. Um, you know, it's been kind of a family affair with me lately with caddies and Nikki <laughs> won this one with me on the bag and, um, this one here was very special, you know, a USGA event, our national open, um, on the senior level, but, uh, something that I was never able to do when a, a USGA event as an amateur or as a pro or anything. So kind of always held those to a little bit, uh, higher standard when you go there and play, you want to play well, and you know, it means a little bit something more. And, um, so it's, it's, uh, it was a great, great uh, time this last week. We had a, had my kids there. It was just a great week. Yeah, and you're not just winning these majors. You're you're kicking these guys' butts. I mean, I think Billy Andrade called you a jerk. As he was joking around, obviously, <laughs> but you've won both of them by six shots. Um, you know what? And and that came up yesterday a lot. Obviously, when you come into the final round with a six shot lead, I know Curtis Strange was talking a lot about how how there is a lot of pressure. Uh, having that lead how how different was it being in that position and you know to people who think oh that's easy you're coasting I mean obviously you'd rather have a big lead than not but is it a different type of pressure very much so you know you have everything to lose at that point and and uh, not a lot to gain because you're, you're supposed to win um kind of disappointing on on Saturday that I didn't get a couple more of those putts to 
fall in and get even a bigger lead just because the more you get, you know, the little bit easier it is on Sunday, even though it wouldn't have been easy. But mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a tough situation, you know. Um, you try not to play cautiously, at least I, I tried not to. But, you know, my, uh, my, my personality is that way of, of being cautious. So that kind of comes out when I have this lead. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to short side myself. You know, I just don't want to make a bogey and let a guy make a birdie. And all of a sudden you have a two shot swing, like it happened yesterday on number 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, I ended up playing away from a lot of the holes and, and, you know, missing the green some of the time. Uh, but I was okay with that. You know, I knew I could rely on my short game and get it up and down. I ended up chipping one in on 12 and which ended up being a huge, uh, momentum change. And, so it's it's just a difficult situation because you just you don't want to lose you shouldn't lose in that situation mm-hmm. but uh, anything can happen still. Steve, just getting back to this kind of dual tour strategy for a second, I'm curious uh, first socially um, what it's like to go from being obviously one of the older guys playing the regular tour to one of the younger guys uh, on the on the Champions Tour in terms of like that dynamic and what that's like and then also um, competitively what what adjustments do you feel like you're making when you have to go from a, a PGA Tour sediment, uh, setup to a, a PGA Tour champion setup? Yeah, um, you know, going from back and forth, you know, I, I've uh, I learn at both places, you know, and I and it almost each each tour prepares me for the other tour. I mean, when I go out and play on the regular tour, you know, the courses are longer; they're they're usually a little bit harder. Uh, not all the times, but uh, some of the times are usually harder. Um, so then when I go to the Champions Tour, you know, the courses are shorter. You have shorter scoring clubs in your hand. Um, so it kind of, you know, you're you're practicing for both tours. And then when I play the Champions Tour, you know, scoring is usually pretty good. It gets me in that mindset to make birdies. I go out on the regular tour with that mindset. And, you know, I haven't played great out there this year, um, but years past it's it's kind of helped me get into a a little bit more aggressive mindset so i've used them both uh to help the other tour really and um as far as being the young guy and the old guy um you know i i actually feel a little bit more pressure going to the champions tour um just because the expectations I put on myself are a little bit more, I think, you know, I'm, I'm expecting to do well. I'm expecting to contend and get in, in the mix of things. And, um, on the regular tour, it's kind of, you know, I've had my time out there. Uh, I still feel like I could sneak a win out if all the conditions and things, um, were right. Um, so that's why I continue to go out there. It'd be, it'd be fun to win out there one more time and get in the mix of things out there one more time as well. Um, in terms of obviously you mentioned the Ryder Cup being a huge focus for you in the coming year or, or more um, your experience at Liberty National as the President's Cup uh, captain to what extent was that good preparation and to what extent was that completely uh, irrelevant because you know a completely different dynamic obviously it was a kind of laughably one sided whereas this is you know best case scenario is you're going to be um you know, it's going to be, you guys will be winning, but it's probably going to be close. Yeah, it, uh, it was great experience. I, I think we should adopt that, uh, for, 
all future Ryder Cup captains. You know, <laughs> give, give, give the guy the opportunity to captain a President's Cup team, you know, to get his feet wet, to understand uh, uh, the dynamics of pairings and putting guys together, uh, being the guy, the head guy to kind of make the call on certain things and um, just going through that process. And I've been fortunate to be an assistant captain with some other great captains um, the last four or five years. So it's been uh, it's been a learning process for me. And, uh, you know, I can rely on some of the things I learned with other captains and then some of the things that I learned as being a captain at Liberty National. So and just being in that situation, you know, to have have uh, have the guys uh, be around with the guys just to just to just to be there and be in that situation, you know, is is just uh, just a better feeling, and it, it it connects you with the players, you know. And and uh, like I said, I'm not out there full time, so I don't see them a lot. But um, you know, I'll be a part of Tiger's team this year, so another great opportunity for me to to uh, see how Tiger does things and work with the assistant captains there. I'm sure some of those guys are going to be uh, assistants for me as well. So just another opportunity to be all together again and learn and hopefully apply some great stuff for the Ryder Cup next year. Yeah, you mentioned Tiger. Obviously, he was one of your assistant captains at Liberty National, and, and that was that week we still didn't know if he was even going to play again. Even he acknowledged uh, he could have seen a scenario where he wasn't going to play professional golf again. Behind the scenes, uh, did you guys – get the sense though that he he really was going to make this comeback um yeah you know i always i always have a belief in uh, tiger and, and anything that um he's trying to do you know he's got a unbelievably sharp and competitive mind that um won't let won't let uh things happen you know he, he's so driven and um you know, that mind is a powerful thing and he's got one of the strongest. So I think, you know, you always have that hope and, and belief, at least I did that he was going to come back and play well and play great again. And, um, and he has, so it's cool to see, you know, I, I'm sure he'll be a part as a player, you know, I mean, I think I looked the other day, he was 12th on the president's cup standing list and I know he wants to play. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, we would love to have him play, you know, and, and, um, so it, that'll be an interesting dynamic to see how that all plays out as as far as being a playing captain. But, um, yeah, it's great to see. It's great for the game. It's great for everyone involved, uh, fans, the players, uh, sponsors, everybody involved to have him playing well again. It's great. What's it like, you know, obviously working with him and now you're, like you said, he's going to be the captain this year. Maybe he'll, you know, you're working with him and then you're the captain next year and maybe he'll play, but at least you know you're going to get input from him. Um, how It seems like he's very involved in a lot of these decisions. He he, he gets into these uh, team events. Yeah, very much so. He's uh, he's a He was a great assistant captain, uh, you know, for me. And, and then uh, he was an assistant up there at Hazeltine. Uh, with Davis, he was there, and uh, you know the guys really, the guys really appreciate that. You know, all of a sudden you got, you know, maybe the greatest player ever in the game, who's in your corner rooting for you. Uh, it took on a different dynamic than him as a player. Uh, he was more involved because he didn't have to worry about his game. You know, he didn't have to worry about being prepared as a player. He could just 
totally commit to the guys and, and the process of what we're doing. And, you know, the guys really gravitated to that and really appreciated that of him. And, and we did too, as assistant captains, it was, it was really cool to see. And he was so into it. And, um, you know, he, uh, literally six months out, we're talking about pairings, you know, um, we haven't even had the team finalized yet. And this, you know, he's sending out all his pairings and what he thinks should happen. So he's really involved and really into it, which is, like I said, really great for team chemistry and team morale and everything involved with the team. It, it's awesome. Uh, you know, Tiger is obviously a guy who certainly in this sort of uh, next phase of his career has played uh, a conservative schedule, reduced schedule. That's something that you've uh, done as well, you know, the kind of latter part of your career, certain last few years. Uh, what is the sweet spot, Steve, in terms of playing enough where you're not so rusty, but also um, playing infrequently enough where you feel like you're excited and, and, and kind of recharged every time you go out there? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's up to every player individually, I think, and they got to find that on their own. And I was able to find that, you know, early in my career. I never was a guy who played a lot. Um, and I think it really growing up in the state of Wisconsin where, you know, we were forced away from the game for a five-month period, basically, you know, the winter months. And, um, you know, I always had that break. And then all of a sudden I got on tour and I tried living down in Florida one year and I'm like, you know, it was nice outside. So I'm out there practicing all the time and playing because I felt like I had to and found out that that wasn't right. You know, it wasn't good for me. It actually was hurting my game just because I was out there. I wasn't fresh. I wasn't into it. I wasn't excited. So you got to find that sweet spot, like you said, and, and um, every player's different. Some guys love to play a lot and some guys just need to play a few times and they're excited to play, to go out there. And, and that's, um, that's beneficial when it comes to how you think and how you go around the golf course. So everybody's a little bit different. You got to find that. Well, yeah, we've mentioned, obviously, you're kind of straddling the tours and, and not playing full, full schedule. Uh, but somehow you were able to keep this major championship streak alive uh, until this year, I know, at the PGA at Bethpage, which was probably not the best setup for you, being that it was such a bomber's paradise. But how, how did you, you know, 29 uh, or 27 majors in a row, I think it was nine years you'd made the cuts uh, you, it, since your last cut. How, how were you able to sustain that? It seemed like such an incredible... Uh, streak when you have all these other guys in their prime who, who can't even come close to that? Um, yeah, I, you know, consistency has always been a big part of my game. And, you know, that I had a little four or five footer, too, at Beth Page <laughs> the last hole that would have that uh, got me into the weekend, which still stings today. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I think um, I always prided myself on being consistent and, and um, um you know, playing well no matter what kind of course, no matter what venue, if it's long, short, tight, wide. I feel like if I'm playing well, I can compete at any level. And I've shown that through my career. I've won at different types of courses and different uh, setups and venues and all that kind of stuff. So I never felt like I was pigeonholed into one kind of course setup. So I I, I take a lot of pride in that. And, and um, you know, they're majors. You always, you know, wanted to play well and, you prepare for them a little, probably a little bit harder mentally and physically. And, uh, yeah, I, I was proud of that number. I was sorry to see it come to an end. 
Uh, actually, I wanted to get back for a second to you just talking about um, you'd mentioned growing up in Wisconsin and, and um, you know, taking a break from the game. I know we've talked about and written about sort of your um, – home facility that you're able to hit from what you know what do you what do you recommend for people who do live in northern states um staying fresh and and trying to get some work in during those months yeah you know if you can swing at all you know just uh i i would swing a lot in my garage Hmm. and just swing put a club in your hand um you know i think is vital just to keep those muscles uh working and moving um you know, working out, you know, to to uh, build those golf muscles up and to keep those, you know, flexible and ready for the start of the year. Uh, putting on your carpet, you know, you can do that anywhere. Find a decent surface to putt on. Um, you know, any of that stuff is a huge help. And and it's just if you if you don't do that, you're just behind the a ball when it is time and ready to you know to get out there and play. Uh, so anything you can do. Like I said, you don't need really need to hit a ball. You know, I I would use some training devices in the garage and just swing for 15, 20 minutes out in the garage. You know, and and uh, in the middle of the winter and um, anything like that is just a huge benefit to do. I've also noticed that um, speaking of sort of staying fresh while playing in a northern state, your daughter has uh, started to, to had some success uh, college golf at University of Wisconsin. She was a walk-on, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what was that process like for you in terms of uh, kind of shepherding, shepherding her into golf and and not but not being too involved? Yeah, um, she. She played high school tennis all through uh, her high school career, and then her after her last tennis match, she said, "Dad, I want to play college golf." <laughs> I about I about choked. <laughs> I didn't uh, I didn't know how to respond to that. I'm like, "Really, honey? You haven't played any competitive golf, you know, you know, ever." And wow, so she had really never played I, even some any junior tournaments or anything like that. You know, maybe two or three and. You know, even she maybe played one when she was 12. Wow. You know what I mean? Just wow. kind of little stuff in the area. Um, like I said, a handful of them, not even. And um, and she had this, uh, she's got some athletic ability and, and good hand-eye coordination. Um, and she was shooting mid-80s uh, by not even really practicing, you wow. know, I mean, or playing. And she would come out with us, you know, maybe a, 10, 12 times a year during the summertime and play and, you know, shoot in the mid eighties. And I'm like, well, you know, there's a possibility there. You got to put in some work and time and energy to try to get better. And, um, so she, she did, she went to work and, uh, she was shooting low eighties. And then I went to the golf coach at Wisconsin and she really wanted to go to Wisconsin. And I asked if, you know, if he's got a spot for, her, you know, to maybe see if this could work out. Cause she really wants to try it. And, and uh, his name is Todd Orline, and and he said, yeah, let's let's give it a rip. And um, so she's progressively gotten better. And uh, she won a golf tournament last year uh, down in Milwaukee. Uh, got her into a Symmetra Tour event. Wow. Uh, nearly made the cut there. She, you know, was really nervous her first nine holes, but she's uh, really showed some really good progression. Um, in that Milwaukee tournament last year, she 
I think she shot seven under in the first round. Um, That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, she's a little inconsistent at times and, uh, but she, she loves uh, trying to get better. Um, So it's, it's been a fun little ride watching her, you know, just to try to try to do this in a short period of time has been pretty amazing. She almost, Almost it's good that she didn't play any junior golf. She doesn't have any scar tissue. She's just taking it as it comes, and uh, uh, I'm impressed with what she's done. She played in the Big Tens, um, and uh, she counted with her for her team one of the days. She shot, uh, I think, one over or even par the second day. So she... Uh, uh, is really improving, progressing, and is enjoying the process. What's it like for you and, and your wife um, when you watch her? I'm, I'm imagining you've you know you've walked a few tournaments with her. Oh yeah. And what's that process like as a dad? You know, it's um, it's cool to see. It really is. It's uh, kind of mind-boggling. You know, I mean to to think about you know just three years ago, three and a half years ago, she was playing tennis you know, not even thinking about golf and now she's playing college golf and, um, you know, you kind of, you got to tip your hat to her, you know, I mean, at some point it's, it's pretty remarkable that she's even, uh, in that conversation to make the team, you know, at Wisconsin and, uh, she loves it. She, um, she wants to get better and that's the cool part, you know, and that's, just a great life lesson right you know golf has provides us with so many of those lessons and it's a opportunity or opportunity for her to work hard at something to put her nose down and and to try to achieve a goal and a dream that she has and she's doing it that's amazing what what level golfer is your is your wife steve and obviously you guys have a great partnership on on the course yeah she's a good player um she would like to be better. She works at it very hard. She played college golf at Wisconsin also. She, oh, wow. Okay. Um, she uh, she finished fourth in the Big Ten one year, I think, oh. her junior or senior year. Um, so she's she's got some game, um, and she she loves to play. So it's, it's really become a family affair, you know, with uh, now our littlest one, uh, Izzy. She's um, working hard at it, too. She, she enjoys it. She's... Uh, She's probably got the most talent out of all all of the girls. My wife and hmm. my daughter, other daughter, Bobby. And, uh, she's got a beautiful swing, and um, she she's doing well. She made it through the first stage of this drive, chip and putt. She's going on to the second stage, and um, so she, her goal is to make it back uh, for us as a family to make it to Augusta. That that would be very cool. <laughs> wow. That's me. You you mentioned um, while well, talking about drive chip and putt. I mean putting. We'd be remiss in not talking to Steve Stricker, one of the great putters of all time, about putting. You know, Steve. To what extent do you think good putting is uh, mechanics, and to what extent do you think it's attitude? Yeah, I think you need both. I I, I truly believe you need to have some decent mechanics, something that you can repeat, um, and it doesn't have to be textbook right i mean just something that you can do over and over and over uh or you have confidence in that you can do over and over uh and then uh have the belief that you're going to make the putt i mean half the battle is setting up to that putt and saying you know what this has got a great chance of going in and if not i'm going to scare the hole kind of thing you know or i'm going to make it or you know just having that belief in yourself and the belief that this ball is going to get in the hole i mean if you step up to it and think that 
you got no chance, then you're, you you know, you have no chance. So um, I think it's a combination of both. You know, sometimes that belief is stronger than anything, I like to think. So having that positive attitude and the, and the desire and the willingness to uh, to make that putt, I think, probably overrules the physical part. But but when, you, when you're playing in pro-amist with amateurs, mechanically, uh, what do you see the biggest mistake uh, they make on greens? You know, I would just say that, you know, their speed is not very good usually at times. Um, you know, and, and putting is a feel thing, and, you know, you have to have decent speed to, you know, everything revolves around speed. I mean, you could... You could uh, have a breaking putt that if you hit, you know, you could hit it at 10 different speeds and probably make it, you know. So um, you got to have a decent knowledge of speed and, and direction, you know, how you aim up the putter. And uh, I don't see amateurs, even the pros, <clears throat> have a hard time aiming up the, the putter correctly. So it's a hard thing. It's something you really have to practice and, and uh, train your eyes for and train your body and your and your mind to do obviously you know you're talking about tiger woods comes to you for for putting lessons uh just one more steve uh you said after this week uh you came in with a little chip on your shoulder i know you you wanted to win the the tournament uh that's special to you in wisconsin uh you said maybe you you needed to be more ornery when you come into these events and now obviously you were our top nice guy when we did our first nice guys <laughs> list in golf a few years ago so looking back on it do you do you kind of think you 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 are too nice on the course or, or that you do need a little more of that that edge when you come into events you know uh yeah great question i um i you know i'm a i'm a pretty fierce competitor when i get out there you know i don't show very much but i um I do have a burning desire to, to play well and do well in tournaments. <clears throat> um, I did come in with a different attitude this week, and, and really not on purpose. Um, you know, it, it, I came in after missing that putt at the AmFam Championship with the opportunity to win uh, right there on the 18th green, and that stung. I mean, that sat with me for a few days, and it still does. You know, I'm... Uh, to have the opportunity and then not to make that putt, you know, hurt. And uh, I, it just gave me this determination this last week to not let that happen again and to uh, to play well and finish it off. And every time I told myself, you know, if things weren't quite feeling the best this last week, I said, listen, let's just go and get it. You know, I, I got a little bit more determined. And um, I love the way I played this last week, probably – some of the best ball striking for me the first three days in a long, long time uh, consistently, uh, it was very good. So uh, hopefully I learned from that and, and I can apply that to future tournaments because it was it was something pretty good um, this week. Oh, and, and you get to go back to Wingfoot next year now. We just uh, – two- yes. that's, that's exciting. You had a great week there back in 2006. Yeah, that was kind of uh, – Wingfoot was a – was a, a special tournament for me to kind of resurrect my career. Yeah. I, I I was playing decent at the start of 2006, but that U.S. Open really gave me the belief and the confidence. Uh, I was up near the lead going into Saturday, I remember, um, and I the, the driver was always my issue, and I actually drove it really well uh, under the gun in, in contention, 
with that pressure on and uh that that kind of kicked me in the butt and got me going uh saying that i'm on the right path to uh doing this a little bit more consistently and a little bit better and um yeah i i remember that day vividly um coming out on that saturday and performing uh and hitting the driver the club that like i said is was a bugaboo that um it gave me the confidence going forward. Awesome. Well, you haven't looked back. Uh, thanks again for, for joining us today, Steve. Congratulations on the big win. Good luck the rest of the year. Good luck with all the, the Ryder Cup preparations that I'm sure are already underway as well. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a good day. You guys, okay. Steve. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks again to Steve Stricker for joining us. And uh, as always, we'll end with some awards, but we have a special set of awards this time. Uh, uh, I guess we, well, it was really me. I just kind of created this uh, content kings of the PGA Tour and made a list, very scientific, as you can tell. Let's see, how many people I put on there? I think I put 25. 20, right? I think it was 23, which shows you just how scientific it was. Oh, yeah, Dustin and Brooks Kepka tied at number 23, and they got a lot of credit for their, their wags. I was going to say, Creating Dustin? a lot of content for us. <laughs> right, they're not the most exciting, but, you know, they have the wags, uh, Pauline and Jenna. Uh, just to give everyone some criteria here, it wasn't just based on how famous you are, obviously, or, or how big of a star you are. Uh, Ricky Fowler, for instance, number 22, because, yes, he does do a lot of things that we write about, and, you know, he's – been on the cover of Golf Digest a lot and everything else, but you know he doesn't give you a lot of a lot of other stuff. There's fodder, a, there's a yeah. lot of fodder. There's you know which is on one level good. He's not involved with a lot of controversy. Mm. You won't see like you know Matt Kuchar incidents with him. Uh, on the other hand, he he's a little dry on social media, aka his social media feed is basically just a running ad, which again for most of these guys it is. Um, so you know there's different levels of criteria. Anyway. I but I said you had did have Tiger. Yes, Tiger was number two because we just had to put him up there because anytime he you know sneezes, we write. Mm-hmm. I, it's true. I mean, we do no, write seriously. something. Yeah. The example I used was he changed the felt on his pool table during the 2017 Open Championship. This is when he was out with the back injury, and that ended up being our number one post for the week. I, mean, I came up with a good headline well, that week. But but <laughs> but no no, I'm just saying people will read anything about Tiger, so he still has to go up to the top. And he and he does he does do a lot of things that are exciting too with highlights and, and this and that outfits. Yeah, so so I, he's I, number two. Yeah, but it's in and we'll we'll touch upon why you're number one. Yeah. is number one with good reason. It's because it's almost like it's a sliding scale, which is uh, the less kind of inherently famous or great a golfer you are, the more yeah. uh, outrageous. outrageous. Yes. And then obviously. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a great player, the bar is lower yes. to be truly outrageous. Exactly. So and then so and this the guy, less likely you are to be outrageous. Right. But, and, 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 tr- and true. And yes. then you get someone who who somehow can, achieves both. Does them all. Yeah. Phil Mickelson is the content king of the PGA Tour, undisputed, not even close. And he's 49 years old too, and he 
now in the last year, he's added this extra gear, this social media gear. I mean, he wasn't even on Twitter at this time last year. Now he's posting Fireside with Phil videos with his mom in the newest one. I mean, the guy is incredible. He, it really is amazing. Every day you could almost, well, every day you could almost do something on Tiger Woods. You could find some old stat of his or something, but it almost seems like every day Phil Mickelson does something right. that you can react to. And it goes back to what I said earlier about introverts versus extroverts, where he's a guy yeah, who, who, who draws energy yeah. from this type of Twitter's, dynamic. Where Twitter's I, I only making him stronger. Yeah, Tiger, I don't think, like, enjoys or relishes the attention. I mean, it's a different, you know, his life is a bit of a fishbowl. He and doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. I mean, other guys, like, Phil doesn't really need it either, though. Like, but some No, guys like, personally, enjoy. I think he yes. does. He likes it. Like, for his personality. Exactly. My point yeah. is there's people who inherently like to, uh, you know, what's the word, like, to attract an audience or mm-hmm. they like attention, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm trying to think. Some people make it for... Controversial stuff. Sergio, you know, had, has had his his issues. Uh, that can to, be part of it. That can be part of it. Uh, Billy Horschel, another fiery, you know, Pat Perez. Some of these guys who made the list are fiery guys. Some of the surprises, though, I got to say, I'll, I'll point them out. Joel Damon, who this year has really come on strong, and his caddy, uh, Gino, hysterical stuff. They are must-follows on Twitter. Obviously, Max Homa, who got a lot of attention when he finally won a, a, a tournament. But before that, he was kind of the king of Twitter on tour. Kevin Na, sneaky, funny guy, um, you know, does a lot of stuff. And then uh, I'll just run through the top ten. Homeless ten. Henrik Stenson, nine, hysterical. Uh, Ian Poulter, you get a million things with him. Patrick Reed, always, you know, one of the maybe the best rabble rouser of, of everybody. <laughs> Bubba Watson at six. Rory at five. Uh, Eddie Pepperell, sneaky guy. So good. Four. So good. Really smart, sharp guy. Then Bryson at three because, you know, he's another guy. Anything he does is great. Tiger at two. And, of course, yeah, Phil Mickelson won. So I don't know if you had any problems with any of those keels. But, uh, um, yeah. You do have problems? I've, I've got some issues. Uh-oh. I don't I mean, how is Bryson on the podium? Bryson. Oh, how is he not on the he's podium? The he's the mad a, I think he's on running for number one. I don't know. He, yeah, yeah. he has someone spraying water on the golf balls to create dew, uh, you know, effects of dew on the range. I mean, the, the guy is, is amazing. I think know. Homa's a little low, too, for okay. me, personally. Right. But again, go back to my sliding scale. I mean, Max Homa yeah. at least won a tournament this year. You, but right, in right. terms of, like, you know, level of um Right, so he was, he was brought down yeah. so much yeah. by his. Okay. Right. If you had Max Homa, it was suddenly win two majors, in a, or, you know, had the year that Bryson had last year, he'd be much higher. Exactly. I think that Pat Perez has, like, I hope he sees this list and he's just, like, really, like, I need to get on the podium. Yeah. Because I think he's someone who could. Oh, definitely. And and I, we, obviously, after watching the match, the coverage, he was so good at that pregame show. We hope he gets in the booth at some point. He'd be, he'd be great. Yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, that was fun. Let's get to some other things. Uh, first off, our stat of the week, Zach Johnson, for the first time in more than 15 years, falls out of the top 100. Whoa. So, I mean, you know, he had a great run. We joke about guys having great runs. He actually really did have a great run. And that's not to say he's done, but uh, he won the 2004 Bell South Classic. That's not even a thing anymore. Uh, to get into the top 100, I two mean, majors. I mean, it's two majors. Obviously, I mean, probably gonna be a Hall of Fame player. I was just gonna say, yeah. is there any way he's not a Hall of Fame player? Think, not, not the how many tour events total wins? Twelve ish, thirteen, fourteen. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah right? I mean, they've let some of these other guys in. They got to let Zach Johnson <laughs> <laughs> chops <laughs> with the two slippery the two slope. <laughs> but and again, this kind, of, this consistency. I mean, fifteen years straight being a top one hundred. By the way, does, does Zach? When you talk about Zach Johnson's Hall of Fame credentials, again, I think yeah. he, I think he's a no brainer. However. 
if he wins at uh, Royal Litham as opposed to St. Andrews or, you mm. know, a lesser open championship venue, does that, you know, cut into his credibility? Pro- not really. I mean, initially you would think so, but you look a little deeper. You just kind of say he's two-time major champ. He's won the Masters. Won it. I mean, you're right. It is cool he won at St. Andrews, but I, I, don't, I don't think so as much. Um, all right. Pros are just like us. This time we're not going with golf pros, but just pros in general. We have Tom Brady playing golf, swinging <laughs> Sam. This is something I want to get your take on because I know you play with your boys all the time. He hits a shot, he curses crazily, and then he just turns to the cart. Sorry, boys. <laughs> well, I, mean, it was, yeah. I mean, you must have been in this my, spot yeah. a bunch of times. I mean, my boys are of the age now where I've just stopped trying to be Try, okay. horrified about it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't um, relish the fact that I have that that gear, but, like, <laughs> you know, when his boys his boys seem younger, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So there's definitely that moment where you, like, you expose yourself to be um, – a weak human being who swears I had a bad tee shot, and I've done that a thousand <laughs> times. So, I just it. love watching golf do this to yeah. amazing yes. athletes. Right. It right. it just it makes me so happy. Like, right. what other sport can really right. do that? Well, like, everyone can kind of throw a baseball, kind of kick a soccer ball, but like, well, Tom Brady is, is a good golfer. I mean, right. he, but, I know, I know, yeah. but it's, but, but I, that's another one of my theories: is the the better an athlete you are the more prone you are to be extremely frustrated by golf. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, these guys who are so masters of something, have done something really well, and yeah. then they, they struggle with golf is incomprehensible to them. But mm-hmm. that, that happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, another guy, J.R. Smith, he finally got to play at Pine Valley. We know how big of a golf nut he is. He then posted a photo. He went to the Pine Valley golf shop, pro shop, and cleaned it out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to... Thousands of dollars worth of stuff, like maybe five thousand dollars worth of stuff. So, and I think we've all, you know, we've all done that at the Masters. Maybe oh, to that I extent, had to ship a box right. of stuff from right. the Masters to this year. Right. It was, but it just shows. I mean, these guys, like you said, Keely, it's cool to see them be humbled by golf, but also to be that nerds. Have we checked yeah. to see if J.R. Smith golf. doesn't have an eBay side business going yeah. on? Oh my <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what. Maybe that's his racket. You know, I just realized too. Zach Johnson. We're talking about guys who should dominate the senior tour. Zach Johnson. Oh, he will turn oh, up. he's yeah. going to light it he up. He will grind away on those guys. <laughs> um, all right. And uh, finally, our picks this week. We have uh, another inaugural tournament. I know it's at a venue that has hosted the seniors for a long time. Mm-hmm. Keep going back to senior golf here. Uh, I know. Twin, Twin Cities like Golf Club. for a new beat? I, I, love, the I love the senior. Senior tour. Strict it. show. Uh, <laughs> Twin City Golf Club will now be hosting the 3M Open. And like this past week at the Rockets Mortgage Instant Classic, as we call it, uh, the field is not great. Although content king Phil Mickelson will be there, so he'll be providing. Brooks Kepka will be there as well, fresh off his uh, thong performance, <laughs> latest thong performance on a boat. Latest. Um, anyway, guys, any, any picks? I know, you, you know, obviously – Minnesota, Hazeltine. It's been we a just, huge. We were just there. She's yeah. really, she breathed the air. She yeah. knows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, walking the hollowed grounds of Hazeltine <laughs> really led me to picking uh, Jason Day for this. Okay. Um, oh, he's in it? All right. There we go. He's, <laughs> oh he's a sneaky content king. Actually, he, I'm actually I probably should have put him on the list. Yeah, it's not It's not a very brave pick at 9-1. Okay. to one. Um, He's – oh, wait. Is he the favorite? Oh, yeah. I thought Brooks would be the favorite. Jason Day's favorite over Brooks? Wait, oh, no, man. Brooks, Brooks is. Okay, Brooks out. is 15 to 2. Never okay. okay. That was almost yeah. a. <laughs> so the second favorite. Um, second favorite. Okay. Um, yeah, I just. I think that 
you know, the whole, I think that he's someone who is very good at being like convinced to play good golf by people outside of himself. Like he's talked about being inspired by things that his wife has told him. So I think that the new caddy situation we Mm -hmm. got going on is going to lead to a victory. Uh, They're definitely on, on the uptick. Uh, Absolutely. The U.S. Open was solid. He played better at Travelers. Now this week, we'll see. The Jason Day, Steve Williams, Ozzy Power duo. Yeah, he's got the right guy in his ear. Um, I see Sam scrambling. I know. Here. I just didn't even. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give my pick. I'll yeah. give my pick. First of all, what what's your logo? I've been looking That's at that. Apawamas. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Apawamas Club. The 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 best short course according to Ben, ben Hogan. Hogan. Yes. That's right. Um, huh. Ryan New York Apawamas. Um, I'll give my pick. I'm gonna actually just because I don't have much to go on here because these aren't you know, new these guys event. haven't played yeah. right. Um, Patrick Reed with the Minnesota Ooh. vibes at down the road at Hazeltine. Oh. What he did in 2016 as Captain America when he was still Captain America and we don't know what, what that status is now. Um, <laughs> Patrick Reed, crazy enough, he just had a T5 uh, at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. It was his first top 10 since October. It was his first Holy. top 20 since February. So he has not been red hot, but I think maybe he's found something. He's really been struggling uh, from tee to green, actually. I mean, that's a pretty big throwing a blanket over everything. His short game's been great. His putting's been fine. But uh, both strokes gain off the tee and strokes gain approach have been down this year for Patrick. And um, I think he may have found something in Detroit. Uh, so I'm going with Patrick Reed, the a Minnesota legend. Minnesota myth, <laughs> Patrick Reed. Okay. I'm going to go. Uh, <laughs> okay. I've actually done okay. more research on this than I have on the other picks. Is, uh, in what, in the last two minutes? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Keegan Bradley. Oh, All right. Yeah. Wow. He almost finished, won the travelers. Almost won the travelers. He's. Um, I feel like you could say that about. Yeah. Everyone six almost won different the people. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, fourth in uh, strokes gain approach the green. So okay. you know, hitting the ball well. So. All right. We'll allow his it. game's running in form. So I don't know. Northern climbs. It's the north. You know, he's from Vermont. Does that count for anything? <laughs> no. No. Yeah. It's like really strict. Exactly. <laughs> Did we do that story one time about like yeah. reasons you should pick someone? It's like where you they know, grew there's up. There's the same playing. sponsor as right, the thing. Right, right, we right. should play well there. Right. Right. His wife, which uh, didn't go well for Ricky last week. I think it right. it should go worse for you, don't you? Have like more I'm being sarcastic, okay. yeah. yeah, obligations, yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, it was fun. Thanks again to Steve Stricker for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our producer, as always, Brittany Romano. And please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Check back next week to see who our guest is. <laughs>